Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hi fam, welcome to another episode of Reclaim Me. Before I introduce today's guest, I just wanted to remind you that in the show notes of this episode, not only are there a number of resources for you if you need to seek help, support or services in any way, shape or form, but there's also a link to the link tree which I've created. Now, at the bottom of that link tree, there are a number of calls to action. There are a number of links that will highlight some specific calls to action at the moment. One of them, more specifically, is the campaign for Your Reference Ain't Relevant, and it's a campaign to remove character references from having so much weight in criminal trials where somebody has been found guilty of child sexual abuse. This campaign is being led by Harrison James and Jared Grice, who have both been on the podcast as guests and are both actually wonderful friends of mine who I adore so much. I'm so proud of them for having led this and to be really calling into action some change that really needs to be made. Inherently, people who commit child sex offences are not of good character. And in any case, those references should not have as much weight. As you've heard in previous episodes as well, we've had many guests such as Jen Brown, who have been on and sadly they have been, their offenders have been convicted of child sexual abuse and they've gotten off with no conviction basically or a good behaviour bond, which I don't think is enough. In many circumstances, the reason for lenient or light sentencing for people who have been found guilty can be referred back to the good character references. You'll hear statements like judges saying this person is otherwise of good character, which we don't think is right. So please, if you're a New South Wales citizen, go follow that link and make sure, citizen? Sorry, if you're a New South Wales resident, please go on and make sure that you sign and um, support the campaign in any way possible. It's free, it's easy, and all you need to do as well if you're not a local to New South Wales is just share it. If we can get everybody to help out as much as they possibly can, hopefully we can help Jared and Harry make this change real. Now, again, I just wanted to make a reference to the fact that it's not only going to be in New South Wales, depending on the success of this, I'm sure that the pilot project will go nationwide, which I'm hoping will be the case. 
Um, and just as a little tidbit of information, I've actually done a freedom of information request um, and I've requested the character references be provided to me for the man who offended against me and went to prison. I'd really like to know if that was a factor determining whether he was given a shorter sentence or not. So I'll keep you all updated with that one as well anyway. For today, I want to introduce you to Sally. Now, Sally and I have decided to use a pseudonym for her name and add some additional protection. There may be some parts of this chat because of that that are kind of cut and you might be able to notice that, but it's just me cutting out any reference to her name as we did the recording. So much of this podcast is done post-production with legal consultation and we have to really often weigh up what sharing with somebody's name and sharing anonymously might look like for them. So in this case, we decided that we would make her anonymous as a safeguard as she also has discussions about her child with the perpetrator. But that's all from me. Let's get straight onto the episode with Sally. Do you mind introducing yourself? I'm terrible at this question because I every time I get asked it in a job interview or when I any kind of group setting, I forget who I am. <laughs> it's like the, um, so um, I don't know. Um, I'm a law student. I'm in my final year of law and I'm a single parent. I'm still working out my identity um, again, I think. I'm building it up. I'm slowly finding an identity. I think that's half the problem is I lost an identity for a good period there. So when people ask me, who are you? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm a mum and a student and that's not really me is it but yeah (laughs) it's so true though and I remember Bob Ruff asking me when I went on to uh the true crime binge podcast like who are you and I was like I ask this question so often and I don't even have a response (laughs) because there's such a delineation between who you are and what you do and often in our lives, those two things can become quite blurred. But again, I think it's just, you know, I always ask people that because I want the listeners to hear the person behind the story, you know, and you, like you've said, you're a single mother, you're studying. So you've got a lot going on already and that's encompassing day-to-day normal life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is really interesting. I think that initial reflection as well on trying to find that identity again, uh, I think that's something that many people will be able to really relate to. Yeah, I, I keep putting it off. Um, <laughs> I keep going, I'm going to get more hobbies next year when my 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 daughter is another year older, when there she's another year older, um, when she does this. And um, that's a lot of pressure to put on a little person. But, um, <laughs> I um, yeah, I think I've just been sort of, yeah, focusing on rebuilding um, the externals that I haven't quite got around to the internals yet. Um, we're nearly there. We're getting there. But, um, I mean, I guess previously I would have said, you know, like I, I used to be, you know, a competitive ballet dancer, a complete nerd. Harry Potter has been my life since the very first book has come out. And I would be in front of big W the minute the book came out in the line, to get the book. So I guess I always say I'm a nerd and I was a dancer, not so much anymore since the the joints give up on you. <laughs> that was such such a big outlet. I feel like once I lost that, I sort of was like, I don't know what to fill that with. Um, so yeah, I'm still working that out. 
it's very difficult to find an identity when a lot of your identity has been caught up in something else. And I felt very much the same and I still do. It's really hard to find hobbies as well, because when you've done something to such a high level, you are then entering a new era where you are not competent or you're not the best at what you're doing. And that's been a reason that I've not done a lot of things. And what an egotistical thing to think, but also when you spent your entire life kind of honing one skill and that was your hobby and that was your love and that was your identity. Now you can't any longer do that. You're kind of like, where where do I go from here? And it's been something, honestly, that I've really, really had a lot of difficulty with too. Um, and I think as well, like this podcasting became a bit of a hobby. Now that's more of a job, not in a bad way, but I do this really a lot. This is a good 20 hours, 30 hours a week of work on top of a full-time job. <laughs> where does the where's the fun, you know? And that's something that I've also been trying to explore. Where do I get the moment where I stop going out drinking and I stop spending all my money on things that I feel are escapes rather than where's something that I can find maybe something new that I can learn and and really dive into? Yeah, no, that's the thing. Yeah, because it was was everything to me. Like for 20 years I was... The, the, the dancer like I went to a sports school where I did the program like the dance program I and then I started teaching so it was just like it was a natural progression once I stopped sort of performing and competing I taught um and then the joints started crunching and babies come and then I tried to get back into it and it just the my knees were just like, nope. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been kind of hard to find. I've, I've tried a few things, but I've never found something that's given me that same, when you've got that sort of, when you found something that's just been, I don't even know, like just giving you peace, but the adrenaline, but everything, it's been everything. Yeah, it's um, equally it's really like to- challenging and exciting, but also comforting I feel the it's same with gymnastics. Yeah, yeah. It, it was all I ever knew, really. Um, so, yeah, and now because all my, my body is pretty much pooped, I can't really do anything super that physical as well. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? But, um, like, my, my, you know, my daughter keeps me fairly busy. <laughs> so she gets the steps in, so... <laughs> Absolutely. And there's the other thing, and I like this conversation as well, so we're going to keep going on it. Um, I think the other thing is as well, you have to be so much easier on yourself. You are a single mother and, you know, you're studying, you've got a household to run and manage, you've got a child to keep alive and to keep thriving and to entertain and do a lot with, and there's a lot going on in your life. You don't really want to pick up a new hobby when it gets to 10.30 at night finally the dishes are done, the house is clean, the child's asleep. You just want to watch something on Netflix and and unwind after you've studied all day. Like there's a lot going on and I think sometimes we feel so pressured to do more and not relax when it's just like you deserve that. I think, I, I yeah, actually, like I think I've always had this um, probably like a bit of a type A personality where I feel like if I'm not exceeding in something, I'm failing. Um, which is a terrible, terribly unhealthy mindset to be in. Um, super aware of that. And I have to like consciously make the effort to go, you know what, like study and, 
you know, being a sole parent, that's that's like two full-time jobs um, as it is. Um, like yeah. I don't need to add anything just yet. And if the best, you know, thing I can add is catching up with the latest Grey's Anatomy episode that week, like, which I'm all for. Like I'm, I hang out every Wednesday um, for yeah. it to be released. Um <laughs> then I'm going to have to sort of sometimes just go that's that's where we're at the moment that's where we're at the moment things can change they will always change I mean they will always things will ever changing so yeah but I do have to make a conscious effort to sort of go you know just because yeah you're not visibly excelling at something <laughs> yeah it doesn't mean you're failing. Yeah. And I feel like everything that you just said, including Grey's Anatomy. I mean, I will be honest, I had stopped Grey's Anatomy. It just got a bit too much after the COVID episodes for me, mm-hmm. but I am willing to restart it again from the very beginning because I just loved Grey's Anatomy so much. Like it was just so good, but um, good. No, I feel you on that personality level as well. Like type A, I'm very much the same. I went to, you know, my therapist and I were talking the other day and she's just like, you are an overachiever and that's not a compliment. Because <laughs> I took it as a compliment. She was just like, no, it's it's not. It's it's hard for you to get satisfaction when you're not doing everything and when you're not winning and achieving everything. And I was like, oh, I've just always had a very competitive personality. And she's like, while that can be framed in one way is a good thing, And the other thing is that if you're not perceiving yourself to be winning in inverted commas at something, then you're feeling like you're not doing enough or you're losing. And she's like, I think you need to work on that. And I was like, well, give me a challenge. Now I'll beat it. (laughs) Just doing it again. (laughs) Really? Pretty much. I'd be like, challenge accepted. I'm going to win therapy now. (laughs) That's what I try and do. I'm going to win. It's toxic within my brain, but like, it's fun up here as well, like. <laughs> now you've just, like, just turned your therapist into a competitor and you're just going to try and beat her, you know, yeah. outsmart her and, yeah. I'm going to win healing. Of course I'm going to do that. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are worse things to beat, like to win at. So, I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, no, I think it is something that it's worth talking about as well because I think not only within the dynamics of having a certain personality or, you know, and our personalities are dynamic, they change day to day, but I think it's also within the the realm of being somebody who's lived and experienced trauma. Many of us exhibit similar behaviours, whether it be people-pleasing tendencies, whether it be addiction, uh, whether it be eating disorders. You know, there's so many different things that many of us go through. Um, but you are here to kind of share your story as well. Do you mind, uh, I guess, sharing where you were in your life when this started or began for you? I sort of was in a really, I guess, vulnerable position. Um, I... Like I think everything's in hindsight. I didn't really notice. I didn't think I was in that vulnerable position at the time. Um, but with a bit more maturity and everything, I was young, like fairly young, like early 20s. And I had was like literally fresh out of my first ever relationship that had lasted seven years. Um, that wasn't like 
it was pretty toxic. Um, just due to, I think both of us, that first relationship, we were young and we both had, we just weren't a good match. Um, and we just did, you know, we did the things because we'd been together and we just did that. So I was like fresh out of that. Um, and I'd had a pretty major like car accident earlier that year. Um, and I had a lot of guilt and a lot of, I would probably say like a, a like a probably a bit of PTSD around that car accident um, because I, I was very scared of driving for a good few years after that. Um, and that's when I sort of met, um, well, it was actually my sister. She sort of dared me um, to go on a dating app and I am very naive like I am very naive and my sister made like just, just go date 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 around and you know have some fun so I went on a dating app and I went on a date and I found a, a guy um who was a fairly bit older than me like quite a bit older than me um and I remember coming like home from that day and I was like, oh, you know, he's nice, but I don't know if it's a thing. Um, but he seemed pretty keen. <laughs> and this is where I wish I had just deleted everything and thrown my phone away. Um, but he, I probably, I wasn't really keen and I think, but then he sort of was keen and he asked me out for a second date. And I agreed because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. <laughs> so I went on that date and I don't exactly know how it happened. Like it was just, we ended up in a relationship. Like it was just really strange how um, someone I wasn't really interested in initially and I don't even think I really was ever to be honest um but my self-esteem was pretty in the gutter like it wasn't it was pretty non-existent and so many reasons I thought that I was lucky anyone would have me yeah so I settled um, at that point, before I even picked up on any flags, what any color of any color flags, I thought, well, I was lucky that anyone's speaking to me because, you know, there was so many things that I was wrestling with um, within myself and self-esteem and just so many other things trying to work out. And it was just, but that relationship, it started off pretty like I I didn't see it, but it started off like things like he would buckle me into the car. He wouldn't let me do my own seatbelt. What? And yes. So what do you mean? Like, so like, let's say like, did he, because I think this is worth going into as well. And I think. Yeah. So would he like dress this up as chivalry? And be like, I'll open the door for you. You sit down. I'm the man. I'm going to be quite chivalrous to you. I'll buckle you in. And then it turned into a rule. Is that what it kind of was like? Or 
so yeah like he did he sort of did the whole opening of the doors and pulling out the chairs and then it sort of did it was like I'll buckle you into the car and he would do my seatbelt and he would come around and and put my seatbelt on and I would sort of like fight it a little bit I'm like this feels weird like I just I can do my own seatbelt but it was sort of like I don't think I picked up on it then because I have this, I I still have this tendency, but I'm, I'm, I have a lot more insight and I pick myself up on it, but I wasn't as insightful back then is I'm very easily guilted and I will doubt myself before I doubt others. So when he said, I'm just trying to look after you, I'm just trying to make sure you're safe. It was almost the way it was manipulated to the way where I was almost being ungrateful that he was trying to do something nice to me, um, for me. And of course I was like, oh my Lord, like, I don't want to be a bad person. Like (laughs) way too easy, way too easy. Um, it just sounds like as though something that maybe is so innocuous that you could do yourself that he might utilize against you later as in his trying to look at all of the wonderful things that he does as if you couldn't already do them yourself, but it's almost as if you have to repay him for. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, you can see maybe that. And and it's good that you said as well, this wasn't a flag that you picked up on because red flags are often only red flags in hindsight. And if you're walking at the world through rose-tinted glasses, those red flags aren't red. And it's these conversations that become so helpful to other people that they can identify these small behaviours as potentially being red flags or potentially being harmful in the future 
Nobody wants to think that somebody that they're dating is intentionally trying to control them or anything like that. But this is a really good, I think, point for people listening to think about. If they are in a situation or going on dates and somebody is being controlling like this, hmm. you know, that it was, it, yeah. it's a red flag. Well, I think like if someone like tries to do something for you, if it, it might be like a yellow flag, so to speak. And then it turns into a red flag when if you say, no, thank you, I can do it myself, how they react is whether it's a whether it's actually a red flag or not. So if the person gen- has genuinely nice, like good intent and they, they are just trying to like, they might be trying to fluff about you because it's a new relationship and they might be trying a little bit too hard and it's a bit like too much and you say, no, thank you, um, I can do it myself. And they go, oh, God, I'm so sorry, I'm. I won't, and they don't do it again, fine. They were just being a little bit too much because they're trying too hard. But if they, and this is where I saw he had trouble taking no for an answer. He did not respect my boundaries and even a small boundary as putting my own belt on, it became one small hurdle. So once he got me to put down that boundary, he would move on to a bigger boundary and a bigger boundary. Um, so it's it was like really the core issue was respecting the boundaries that I have and him, yeah. So I think it is that, yeah, like definitely like something sort of like flag in your mind and then how they react if you say no thank you. Um, unless, you unless you're happy for someone to belt you into the car, like each to their own, I guess, Um but for me, it just sat wrong. It just, I was like, I can do this myself. Like, yeah, please. But it was, yeah, it was more this like not, not respecting my boundaries. And it was pretty early on. Like it was only like weeks in. So you <laughs> should have, but you don't, you don't see that. So no. um, yeah, I think it was sort of things like that. And it was, um you know, sitting very close to me, like he would come everywhere with me and he'd be sitting like practically on me everywhere we would go. Um, He would like, he was pretty rushed into things. I love you very quickly. Let's move in very quickly. Like it was very much, yeah, it was an accelerated relationship and that it can be a flag. Like sometimes, not always, like sometimes 100% can be healthy relationships, but sometimes the people that might be abusers tend to try and lock you down pretty quickly. And it's an interesting thing as well. Like, you know, I think we've just gone through like two, two of the pillars of the coercive control wheel in a very short period of time. Um, So, you know, gaslighting almost in, in a way as well you've got your boundaries being broken and disrespected. There's some touching, some physical, you know, it's not physical creation of fear, but it is I am the dominant one over this and I'm here to support and protect you. And then that love bombing kind of, it also can be so overwhelming. And I think it's just dressed up to throw you off. You know, people who are love bombing aren't connecting with you on an intimate level they're connecting with you on what they know that you want level so that they can manipulate you into complying with them in the future. And that's the difference. And I think 
was listening to Laura Richards the other day speak to who's a criminal behavioral analyst. She's former New Scotland Yard uh, and, and an amazing podcaster herself. She was talking to, you know, pushing it forwards as a slow relationship because if if somebody isn't toxic, they're not going to push back against taking things slow. And I, you know, I myself wish that I had have done that in previous relationships as well. Sometimes they're so fun and so different. And so you feel so loved maybe for the first time that you dive into it rather than pumping the brakes and being like, okay, I'm going to give myself some space here and make sure that I'm enjoying it. Cause you should want to prolong that fun. Like honeymoon phase is the best phase anyway. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the thing. Like, but, um, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it was just like really quick. And before I knew it, like, I think that was at the end of one year and by maybe I would say like four months later, five months later, I had moved in um, and I was about two and a half hours away from any support system that existed for me. And at this point also I had no car um, and I wasn't employed because I has also had moved two and a half hours away. So no car, no job, um, no support system. <laughs> and I had to rely on this one person. How did you um, feel in that? Like, So you're saying like a lot of things, and I know that we can look back at this retrospectively and we will go through what all of those things mean. But when you moved there, were you kind of like excited? This is a new chapter, or, or and he was excited too. What did it feel like for you at the time? I had had a really rough, like previous, like couple of years. So I think I almost was trying to start fresh in a way as well. Um, I don't think it was the best way to deal with it. <laughs> Um, I think I had an immense amount of healing to do before, but um, I, I honestly, it's it's so much of a blur. Um, I think there are large portions that my brain has blocked out. Um, I'm not gonna lie. Um, there are huge gaps missing from that relationship. Um, so, but. I honestly think I was almost trying to pretend I was trying to be a new person because I was feeling so horrific um, within myself. Um, I was trying to, everything I had known since I had been 15 with my first ever partner and that had ended only that year before, I knew nothing. I was so naive so so gosh darn naive um and I didn't think much of myself and I really didn't know a whole lot like I can I'm I might be book smart and I have like common sense but in relationships and things I really don't know a whole lot um about that kind of thing and you've said that kind of twice now like that you are naive what do you what does that mean to you do you feel like there's an inability to see red flags? Do you feel like you're just a very trusting person naturally and that makes you a little bit more vulnerable? Or what does that naivety kind of label, where does that come from? Um, 
I think I am fairly like, I guess I'm fairly, like I, I was almost very innocent in like relationship wise. Um, and I also, yeah, like I think I just, I, I hated, I've always hated conflict and I just have this, I've always been driven as a young kid just to be a really good person and I just wanted to be a good person. I just wanted to be liked and I am ex- like too forgiving. I'm probably too forgiving. Um, <laughs> constantly being told that I'm too polite when I shouldn't be polite to the people who don't deserve it. Grappling with the fact that in my previous relationship, um, I had never, I had never felt attraction in my entire life. And I was very confused. I had never felt attraction in my life. Um, so when the media and friends and, and, you know, everyone was like partner, like even my partner, pre, like my first ever partner was saying, you know, you should be attracted to me and you should be wanting to be intimate with me and you should be wanting to be touched and this and that. I did not feel attraction and I didn't know what was wrong. And with my partner that I had originally been with, my first ever boyfriend, he, I think, had sort of got in his head that there was something wrong with me. And then I had sort of like, I was under the impression I was broken because I didn't understand attraction. I didn't understand love, like that kind of, I guess, what I should be. Like I felt like something was wrong. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really understand relationships. Um, found out many, many years later that it's actually asexuality, but that was a whole thing. <laughs> um, but I did not know what that was. So I was extremely, I was like, this is all icky to me. Um, even like very physical touch made me feel very uncomfortable. Um, so I guess there was like some kind of naivety also around why I was feeling a way that I was sort of like everything was telling me I shouldn't be. Yeah. So I thought I was broken as well. <laughs> so I think I tried, I would, I didn't see the red flags because I, I didn't know what was normal, normal. And you felt like maybe you were the problem and that you needed fixing. Yeah. Yeah. And I that's... didn't know what was, ex- like what was, yeah, it was very strange as I tried to work it out. <laughs> yeah. I think anything that is not heteronormative within the boundaries of sexuality as well, like asexuality is such a difficult thing to, to grapple with, demisexuality, et cetera, because these are not common things that people talk through and talk about, mm-hmm. you know, and feeling like that with a partner is, is must be a very difficult thing to grapple with too because it doesn't mean that you're trying to say to them that they're not an attractive person or that they're, not desirable. You just don't have the desire. That's the separation there. And I can understand what you're meaning by that and how much difficulty that would have placed on you. But I also would say to challenge you in a way to say that I don't think this is naivety. I think this is innocence and this is somebody who's trying to figure themselves out and who is looking at the world through the lens that they've grown up with, not through the lens of, you know, somebody who should be on guard to be taken advantage of or somebody who should be on guard to do these things. You being a very caring person might make you more vulnerable. You being a very 
forgiving and easygoing and loving person potentially might make you more vulnerable, but that's not a flaw in your personality that makes you naive. I think it's something that is just a trait within you that's wonderful. Like as a friend, as a mother, having somebody that is so caring and loving like that is a wonderful thing. And that shouldn't be a reflection on you poorly. That should be a reflection on somebody who tries to take advantage of that. That's a reflection on them poorly. Yeah, I I guess, yeah. Like I get probably like instead of naivety, maybe even like inexperience. I had no clue. Yeah, Yeah, like I was extremely inexperienced with everything. (laughs) um, But I was actually thinking about that this morning. Um, Like I get told a lot that... I need to be tougher and I need to be more vocal. Um, I need to be more assertive um, in so many different situations, but I literally don't, I don't have that in me. Um, I'm just not, I'm not like a yeller. I'm not like an angry person. Um, And I just, and I was even actually thinking about that this morning, which is actually really funny because I was just like, I, Next time I'm told that I need to be more assertive or, you know, not even assertive, you can be assertive without like being angry, but that I need to basically change um, myself. I was like, I'm going to say no. I'm not going to be more fiery. I'm not going to get more of a temper. I'm not going to, like, I don't yell. I don't really get angry. I burst into tears. That's my anger. Um, And I was like, no, I'm not going to like change who I am anymore for the benefit of others. Um, and how victim blaming does that sound as well? Like let's just be, make yourself more assertive. Actually, no, sorry, but this is your personality. This is who you are. Maybe your lived experience will make you put more boundaries in place. Maybe your lived experience will change the way that you interact in some ways. Okay. But it's not for you to change your personality type. Look at that in and of itself is kind of insinuating here that there is some blame that you are culpable for because you are too nice. Like, no, continue to be nice. Be yourself. Be exactly who you want to be and don't let anybody tell you fucking otherwise. That really fucks me off because people say that and think that they're being helpful when in fact they're inadvertently a lot of the time telling you that you're to blame for what's happened to you. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I take it that way, and then I'm told that it's not actually meant <laughs> meant that way. Um, but it does, even if it wasn't intentioned that way, it does come across like. But it's like maybe I don't need to be meaner. Maybe I don't have to change my personality. Maybe people don't have to. Maybe other people don't need to be assholes and abusers, <laughs> and I won't have to change who I am. And maybe maybe other people need to take a step back and say to themselves, it's not how you take it, it's how they say it. So they're the ones that said it. They need to back up and maybe people shouldn't be going around there willy-nilly telling people how they should change their personalities. Like that goes both ways. And if, you know, I just, yeah, don't don't go up to somebody and insinuate that if they changed their behaviour that what happened to them wouldn't have happened because it is incredibly offensive And I don't care if people say things like I didn't mean it that way. And this is actually something, it's a point for most people who aren't abusers to learn. I remember it's not the same thing, but one of my friends that I used to work with, she was a colleague of mine and she came out to me as she said she was a lesbian and now she identifies as bedroom bi. Um, 
which I love that, you know, she's in a relationship with a man now. She's very happy. Um, and I was like, oh, awesome. Like, you know, I don't care. And I kind of said, I don't care in a way that sexuality, gender, you know, LGBTQIA plus, if you were to be any of those things, that would be wonderful to me. Uh, it's not an issue for me. And she kind of stopped me and she goes, I think that you need to reframe the way that you respond to that. She goes, I've just told you something quite personal about me. And your response was, I don't care. And my response to her was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it like that. And she goes, no, I know that you didn't, but she goes, I'm also very comfortable in my sexuality. Somebody might be talking to you that isn't in the future. It's really important that you respond with something like, thank you so much for feeling safe enough to tell me that, um, I will always support you in those ways. And it's saying the same thing in my mind, but it's saying it out loud differently. And since that moment, I have never once in my life said, I don't care. I've always affirmed it in a different way. I didn't find it offensive when she called me out on that. She didn't yell at me either, but it's something that I've remembered and I will never forget. And I implore for that. So to other people as well, you can do that. It is really easy for you to hear somebody's gone through something or talk to them and not tell them that they need to change their personality in any way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to um bring us back though, because you were saying that there were a number of things that started to happen when you moved out to the house. Um, and I've just pulled up the kind of the coercive control power and control wheel. Um, and one of the things that we've got here is economic abuse. And you're p- now all of a sudden placed in a situation where you're financially dependent on this person because you don't have an income of your own. You are also in a situation where you're isolated. So you're further away and you're isolated in two ways. You're isolated by distance in a location, but you're also isolated by not being able to freely leave because you don't have access to a vehicle of your own. So there's kind of layers to that as well. And as we keep going through the story, I'm just imagining this power and control wheel and all of the things starting to tick off as this progresses. But again, like you said at the beginning, this is not a reflection on you don't feel like it's abuse at the time. You don't understand and you don't see the isolation. You don't see that. You think that these are just natural progressions and that this is fine and it's happy and it's only upon reflection that you can start to see the red flags as they were. I didn't even know purely because I had honestly never, I'd never even looked into it. I'd never had any need to, to look in at all the different types of abuse. And then we were like, I had, I hadn't even realized till I was out just how many box were, boxes were being ticked. And when I had actually like spoken to a trauma counselor and she was like, dude (laughs) what is that um no that's no and that no that's no um so but yeah it was I think it was once he'd sort of got me away and isolated and in the house um I I think the mask sort of dropped a little bit I was still fairly like fairly compliant Um, because I was just, I don't even know. I just, I think I was just still so, I had no confidence in myself, basically. I had no access to any kind of money and I like would see sort of things like, you know, I had some, I got some Kmart vouchers, uh, for my birthday one year 
and I went to the shops. Now, every time I went to the shops, every time I would go to the shops, he would come with me. He, I actually had spent my birthday vouchers at the shops and he actually went through my bags to see what I had bought and was like rolling his eyes. And I'm like, this is my vouchers. Like that's, that's weird. And I think I had like gone out with my, my mom one time, like I had gone down back home and then come back. Like it was a quite a train ride, <laughs> like quite a day, day trip. Um, and I had a coffee cup laying around the house and he would like, he goes, where'd you get the money for that coffee? Like just things like that. About a year into the relationship, I actually ended up getting a job. I, it was in the field that I had studied in and like we hadn't, we were a bit rocky. Like I didn't realize how much like abuse that was already occurring. He was already using like silent treatments. And if I didn't do, if I didn't do things the right way. Um, but I was, I think, I don't know, like he was, it didn't escalate to the full full throttle, I guess, um, just yet. But it was like silent treatments and there was a lot of like pressure around sex, which was still, I was still like really confused around that. And I was in a war of myself, like why am I not feeling it? But it was like compounded because every time, it was always like very transactional with him and I always like owed him and then if I didn't, it was silent treatment for days. And it was sort of like, but that, at that time it was like, okay, like. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Um, and then I got a job and he would, he decided to, he worked full time. He would end up taking me to work and pick me up from work, even if it meant that he had to start work late and leave work early the couple days that I would go to work. And I feel like now in hindsight, it was that he sort of almost saw that he was losing control. He's like, oh, and that was really the only control that he had was he could tell, he could almost control when I went to work and when I would come home from work. And he knew that I was going straight to work and straight back. 
because the job was in the main town. Um, and I would be like, I can just take a bus. And he'd be like, no, 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 I'm not going to let my woman take a bus into, into work. Like, and it was, again, I'm just trying, I'm doing everything, you know, I'm doing, putting myself out. I'm sacrificing my time for you. And here I'm like, mm, like, <laughs> but it, yeah, it was just, but that, and he's like, I don't think it was satisfied. It didn't satisfy him long enough because probably I would say a month or so in to me having that job one evening, um, he basically pushed me down on the bed and told me I'm ready to put a baby in you and did not give me a choice. And unfortunately, I did get pregnant on the first that time. Um, and afterwards, when I had queried it with him, he swore that we had had a conversation about it and that I had told him that I want to start a family with him. And he gaslighted me until I literally thought I was crazy and doubting every memory I'd ever had. Um, I would never say that I regret my child in a million years, but I would regret the circumstances in which, you know, but having said that, I think she was sent from somewhere, from whatever, because she really, she was the saving grace later on. But um, because when I was pregnant, I got really, really sick. And when I was really, really sick, um, I had morning sickness and a whole lot of other health issues um, associated with the pregnancy and it ended up at me being in hospital um, and a high-risk pregnancy. And because of that, I got fired from my job. Wow. <laughs> so I feel like now I see that maybe he wanted, I felt like, he, I feel like maybe he thought he was losing his grip on me and if I had a job and my own money and um, even though I was paying half the rent and everything, um, that wasn't, that didn't mean anything to him. He wanted the control, not the money. Um, he thought, well, she's pregnant. She's going to have to look after a baby. Um, that was really going to give him, I feel like, I think in his mind, the ultimate control, the ultimate connection that, you know, I won't be able to leave. And to isolate you from other people in the town and to, to keep you in a certain location because eventually, yeah, you will be a full-time parent likely. That's what he'll push yeah. you to do because he's continued to dress up his uh, abuses chivalry and his abuses caring behaviour, which it isn't. Um, but also I feel like there's some form of punishment that he's enlisting on you through sexual violence. Mm. Um, how dare you show autonomy? How dare you do this? And whether it's outwardly spoken or not, subconsciously there's sex and sexual acts or sexual assault being used as a form of punishment. And yeah. then the gaslighting to say that you, you know, this is 
such a difficult environment. And I think the thing to call out with coercive control and domestic abuse is people don't fall in love with an abuser. People, you know, get into relationships with people and these behaviors are often progressive and they're often dressed up as different things. They're often made to be chivalrous, but it's not chivalry, it's control. They're often made to be, I'm just helping you out. I want you to live the most wonderful life. But in actual fact, they've removed your access to being able to get a job or drive a car or, you know, it's a horrible thing to have to think through all the time. And I don't want people to live in fear all the time, but for people to listen to these types of stories and how it's progressed, I think it's so important because they might identify within their own relationships that actually, and just start questioning some things. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I, I sort of like, I have to stop myself sometimes going over it and going, I should have questioned there. I should have done this because if you go back and start going, I should have, I should have, should have, um, you'll drive yourself nuts. And I, I have to, I took a lot. It's taken a shit ton of therapy to get to this point, but I, I was just a mess when I, and like, you know, a couple years back, but like, I think when they gaslight you about small things and they accomplish that, they slowly move up to bigger things where you're a lot easier to start doubting your own memories. So even though I swore black and blue, like we had never had this conversation, he will swear on his mother's grave that we did have that conversation, that I agreed to it. Like it's like just a complete delusional made-up story Um and it took so much to work through. And even I think to this day, I sometimes find myself going, did I forget something? And I have to go, no, <laughs> you don't just make, you don't just forget a decision to a family planning decision. Um, so it was a lot of like talking logic to myself um, and fact checking and all those little, what are they, like, I sound like a psychologist right now, but really I was, like, doing those tricks on myself just to try and mm-hmm. um, unscramble my brain um, yeah. because yeah. that's really what it was. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, yeah, that was sort of the, I think from there things just, it didn't really go to plan for him. <laughs> yeah. So you were hospitalised during the pregnancy? Yeah, like it was just I was really unwell and it just wasn't a good pregnancy and I ended up going into labour two months early Um, and, you know, my daughter was had to be in hospital for about a month and, like, it was just a lot. It was a pretty, it was a pretty, like, full-on birthing experience. it was just a lot. Um, so it was pretty full on um, with a newborn, with no car, <laughs> with no support system. And um, I now had more expenses. So I didn't have to just look after myself. Um, and we had, we got told at the hospital that we were eligible for family tax benefit and things like that. Um, and he actually filled out the forms and put it in his name and it would go into his account. 
so for the child that I birthed, um, he was getting any family tax benefit, um, any of that financial support. And I was given um, an extremely tight, tight budget um, for groceries. And before having a baby, I can go without food. Like it's not like that big of a deal. Um, but when you have a, a baby who is on formula, nappies, wipes, pretty much took out almost half, more, if not more, of our weekly budget that I had been given. I had to ask for any extra money. I had to pretty much beg anytime I wanted any extra money. And now it wasn't for me. It was for my child. There was almost like, I say it got things got worse because now if he ignored me for three days because I rejected sex with him, that means it's three days that I he won't listen to my me asking for money. And if my child needs formula or nappies, that's a non-negotiable. So my options were to let my child suffer or for me to give in and to end the silent treatment in whatever way he deemed necessary. Yeah, I think that's why it got worse is because now I think he had worked out that he could pretty much get what he wanted if he used our child. Yeah. And again, that's ticking off another thing on the wheel. It's the coercion, it's the threats, it's the physical intimidation. You've got sexual coercion as well with what you're having to go through. And like you said before, almost in a minimizing type way, not that you intended it that way, but <laughs> that, you know, you can go without food. And I think whenever you're in a relationship, you know, uh, if you're on such a strict, you know, when what's he doing with the money? Is he going out for beers with his buddies after work? Like, is he able to live or, you know, and I think you've got one thing with living on rations under the poverty line, but if you've got a disparity in finances, something that is literally causing you to live below the poverty line, but somebody else within your family unit is fine then that's economic and financial abuse, and we do not talk about it enough. Financial abuse apparently, according to the statistics, is one of the most prevalent types of abuse, especially within domestic violence situations, and it's debilitating. And it's not just that. you know, As you've just said, it causes you to then be victimised in other ways so that you can get in his good graces so that you can be fed and so that your child can be healthy. This isn't a good father. This isn't a good partner. This is an abuser. And he pretty much ignored our child. He didn't really respond to her cries. Um, you know, he just didn't really seem interested. Um, and when he did every now and then like feed her or things, he would like turn her away from him and there was no connection. He just wasn't connecting. Um, there wasn't really much bonding or responding to her needs. And I just, you know, it was just, it was just a very odd, like, but then he sort of seemed, he saw that I would do anything for her. And even though I was giving him everything he wanted, he saw that I would do anything for her and he became jealous of her. And he told me that I shouldn't, care about her more 
She shouldn't be my main priority. He should be the main priority or at least equal. And I remember sitting like we I don't even remember this situation. We we're like sitting at the dining table and we're eating spaghetti bolognese. And I remember going, she's literally a child, like a baby. She's dependent on me. You are not like you can do, you can look after yourself. You can keep yourself alive. Um, this baby cannot. So she will always be my main priority. And yeah, that was in, that never has gone down terribly, that didn't go down terribly well. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was pretty much that cycle. He pretty much ignored her and took out a lot of his anger out on me. But then on her first birthday, I planned a birthday party and I didn't consult him. His words, not mine. Um, and it was on her birthday, funnily enough. So I didn't think I needed to consult. So I, because I hadn't consulted, um, he was pretty annoyed that I had planned a birthday. And then I also had banned mm -hmm. alcohol. Um, I said we don't need a alcohol at a first birthday party. And because of that, apparently none of his friends would come. Great so, people, by the way. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Not there for the kid, but did there for the beers. We, we were a little bit angry that on the actual birthday. A little bit angry. And he would, like, stand over me while I was cooking on the actual party and telling me everything I was doing wrong, right down to how I was cooking, like, the Frankfurts. Um, and like glaring at me across the room, not helping me, just telling me everything I was doing wrong. Um, and I had been like cooking and prepping and trying to do everything. And I said, hey, we had sung happy birthday to our child. And I said, hey, can you feed our child her birthday cake? Well, I just say thank you to everyone for coming. I was probably gone like two minutes and I was thanking someone across the room and I was tapped on the shoulder by someone. <laughs> Look. And my baby is choking on the cake um, because the person feeding her was glaring at me instead of looking at what they were feeding that child. I had to run over and clear her mouth and take that over as well and carry her around while I said thank you to everyone for that. And that was the first time that she started suffering because of his anger towards me and that was when something awoke. I was like, no, nah, not my not my kid. I think the final straw was when he was screaming at me one day and our child was old enough to hear that and he was screaming at my in my face whilst I was holding our child and she burst into tears hysterically. And I moved away and I locked myself in the room and I decided right then, and I say that I actually didn't leave for myself. Yeah. I, um, I left for her, but I stayed away from myself. <laughs> I pride myself in never going back. Um, not as many women, like some, there are so many women who aren't as lucky um, 
I think what's the, like they say the st- stats are sometimes women go back like seven times before they actually get away. I'm so glad that I didn't do that. But um, I didn't even leave for myself. That's how little I thought of myself. But yeah. when she, I saw that she was going to suffer, I was like, now for this. <laughs> and that's that motherly instinct that people always speak to, which is just so powerful to have that instinct and even self-awareness now to reflect on the fact that you didn't have your own self-worth, but the protection over your child is an incredible thing. Um, and it shows how much you care about your child as well. Once I made the decision, it wasn't that it wasn't easy trek. It was it was a really tricky. Like I was in a very tricky situation, and it was a lot of planning. And I found out a lot of a lot of things that I didn't know. Like a whole lot of things I hadn't. I stumbled across accidentally. Found some horrific things that I didn't even know the depth of what had been going on but I finally told my family sort of what the situation was they sort of had some sus vibes but they didn't understand they didn't know the full extent but it was really tricky um and I would have been homeless like I had literally nowhere to go and we pretty much just left in the middle of COVID lockdown one day when he was at work and I had nowhere to go. We took nothing, pretty much nothing with us except, you know, some of um, pretty much my child's things and and maybe a few of my bits and bobs, but that was it. He kept everything else. And I went to a family house that they were fixing up. And if I didn't have that, I don't know what I would have done. I, was so, I feel very lucky. I, I know a lot of people don't have that, but we just, we had to start again and literally had nothing and I had to sort of build, work out how to get money moved into my name, which was just a whole thing on its own and work that through and live by myself for the first time in my entire life, which actually was amazing. Within about a year and a half, I ended up, you know, building up, like I had signed my first lease for a rental and we didn't really have furniture initially, but I managed to save up money and we furnished it very cheaply, but all the basics. Now I've signed a couple of leases by myself and I can mow my own lawn and um, things like that. And there was still, I mean, we do, there was a, a quite a lot of separation abuse initially. Um, and there was a whole, like about a whole year where we had um, a whole lot of trouble and legal stuff going on. But, yeah, it was it was pretty tricky, yeah. Uh, but I, I look kind of look back now and I'm like, Jesus Christ, like we rebuilt. And when I, when I say like yeah. I was, I've sort of just been rebuilding the external stuff. I haven't really had the time to really. You know, I've done it. I've said, yeah, I've done so much therapy as well. So, <laughs> and it's also not been that long. I think you know, it's not that far away, but it is also an, an incredible reflection. You did say that there was some stuff that you didn't know that was going on that you found out. Do you mind talking to that a little bit? Things that he had been saying online about me, about my family. He had done an entire smear campaign trying to discredit me 
um, sort of setting people up to think I was crazy. Um, there was threats to my family that were made. There were sexual comments about my siblings. There was just a whole, there was just a whole other, whole other thing. Sounds um, like as well, this is the first moment that maybe other people have been able to see the nature because what was covert is now overt and out there for people to see and those people who aren't drawn in by what he's saying and trying to make you sound crazy can plainly see the character of this person who's trying to discredit the mother of their child. Well, I think a lot of people fell for it to a certain extent. I lost some mutual friends, but, you know, I don't want them as friends if they were going to do that anyway. So that's, you know, and I think even to this day, it's still somewhat like there's a bit of a, like an, a persona that's put out. Like I, I always like he would always put on this persona to the outside world, but then he would shut the door and his eyes um, would change. I don't think he's really ever fully, not really fully taken accountability. I don't think he, I, I don't think he really understands what he did. I don't think it's really. It does. I can't quite get my head around. I can't quite get my head around it. What happened with custody and things like that as well? Was he trying to obtain custody in a way to keep power and control or? See, not, not like he's always insisted to sort of, to see her, to sort of have some custody. There was like a few demands like that were made that were quite ridiculous, discredited for a number of reasons. <laughs> um obviously without going into the details um, of what, I don't know if I can even disclose some of those things, um, but there were certain things that were demanded, um, but unfortunately due to certain things that had occurred, it it wasn't, the, it wasn't coming from the strongest place, unfortunately. Um, and because there had been such a lack of bonding, our child has struggled, you know, keeping that bond. And I have never, I do pride myself. And I think this is where I get ripped to shreds by a lot of people who know everything is I don't, I've never withheld my child, our child from, um, I, I, you know, I do everything that I'm, I guess, supposed to um and I've tried to like I've pushed aside my own feelings and really tried to make like as long as she has been safe and there have been times where I've stepped in I've had to step in um and sort of be protective um but yeah it's I never say a bad word about him and I do pride myself like in front of her I should say um because, you know, I, and it's not even for him. It's not for him. It's 100% for her um, because she doesn't need to carry that burden. So I do pride myself in that, that I'm not going to. But she does She does struggle with that bonding that has been missed. Um, and I think there is that, yeah, 
quite tricky for them, I think. But I commend yeah. you for being an adult, you know, she kind of shows the two dichotomies of character here where he's publicly trying to, you know, smear campaign against you for being crazy and you still won't say a bad word. I think that's an incredible character trait to have because it is an adult problem to put on a child and, you know, you have to be so careful as well because if you do refuse to give access to the child for him, then, you know, that's something that will end up in the family courts that technically could be classed as kidnapping. Parental kidnapping is the largest form of kidnapping. Like there are other things that are at play that you have to balance on a seesaw, which is, you know, the risk to your child, the risk to yourself versus also your child's right to know their father. And maybe he will turn up and be an okay dad. I mean, I think that we all know that she deserves better. You deserve better. But there is such a flaw in the system that doesn't recognize coercive control as it as the abuse that it is. And therefore you really don't have any rights to remove the parental custodianship from him in any way either. So I think you're right to play it the way that you are as well. She deserves to be happy when she goes there, not fearful of his actions. She's a child, she does not need to hear about how much of a piece of shit the father is it's not that's an adult problem and when people put that on their kids it's just perpetuating violence in my opinion it is so hard for kids to grow up in a situation where they're playing you know the the messenger between two parents that hate each other it's just it's just shit and that that's the thing like and I've always like I, I think a lot of people have gone like, how can you, you know, just tell her like he's, you know, he's a piece of shit or, and I say, you know what, I, it doesn't matter what I think. And I've always said my love for my child will outweigh any kind of feeling that I have toward any kind of negative feelings I have towards him. Um, and to be honest, I don't hate him anymore. I think there was a lot of hate. There was a lot of fear initially. I was terrified. And then I got really angry as everything sort of came to the surface. But now I'm nothing. It is what it is. I'm not allowing anyone to hold that negative space in my, like, no one gets to take that. No one gets that toxic, like, gets to put that toxic energy into me. Um, and hatred just is exhausting. Um, and I, I haven't got the enough energy for that. I got enough, you know, like, enough, enough enough. um, and it really took me like a lot of healing and I'm not scared anymore. Um, I'm definitely left with, cause I was diagnosed with like a PTSD from that relationship. Um, I did EMDR and a ton, 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 ton of work on myself and talk therapy and just everything I absolutely could. Um, and I pretty much got to a place where, I, I mean, I'm definitely not scared of him anymore. Um, and I've sort of come to an acceptance and it is what it is. And we just tackle whatever comes our way. Um, do I forgive him? Absolutely not. Um, does that not does that mean I move I haven't moved on? No, I completely moved on. Um, but some I feel like when you've you've done certain things, it's not even you don't have to answer to me. Like like you've done something so you're gonna answer to someone much bigger than me, I believe. But um I also can see that it's like I see him for what he is. 
I see him for what he is. And, you know, you cannot be a healthy person to do those things to a person. And that's not like sympathy. That's just a statement of fact. Hurt people do those things to people. And it's quite sad to be that damaged to need to do those things to people. Um, And I'm not even saying that with any sympathy, empathy or anything. It's just, you know, it's sad that you would be that damaged. Someone would be that damaged. Um, And I think it's also a conscious thing as well that to actively try and remove somebody's autonomy to have complete power and control over them, you know, that's a serious level, in my opinion, of inadequacy feelings that you feel you need to take somebody's autonomy away from them. And, you know, we don't know where it all comes from. You know, hurt people can hurt people, but so can people who aren't. And it's also an important thing to reflect on as well, that just because you have been abused or a victim of abuse does not mean that you will therefore become abusive yourself. And I always just make that distinction because, like we said before, when you say things, sometimes people will be hurt by them when the intention is not sitting there. Um, but I think it's an, it's an incredible reflection to have. And I really, really do feel the same sentiment as you I posted about it before. I've talked about it a lot. I do not believe that forgiveness sets you free. And I don't no. think that forgiveness is something that you need to strive for. Forgiveness to me is something that you're giving somebody that doesn't deserve it. You can move through to acceptance and you can move forward to a place where this no longer drives your every day and harms you and you can do healing but forgiveness is not is not what i need i know for other people forgiveness has been incredibly self-healing especially for quite religious people i believe that's a part of faith i'm not a faithful person and i just don't personally believe that i need to give somebody else forgiveness for me to be able to move forward in my life and i feel that you share that sentiment as well And I think you're living it. It's a wonderful thing to hear you kind of moving into your own throughout this story, not in a forceful way, but just in a staunch kind of an ability to hold your own and set those boundaries and go, no, fuck you. You're not taking up any of my time. No more. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Pretty, pretty much. I've sort of just come like I've, it's, I've learned a lot about myself and I've accepted that I'm not broken nothing is actually wrong with me and all it took was a simple google search oh my gosh but um never thought of that but um what did you google i, I googled why do i not like sex oh wow and that really opened up a lot of actually some healing for me as well because i realized that i actually wasn't at fault for a lot of issues issues no. so to speak um and I wasn't broken. And I think once I realized that I wasn't broken, once I had realized who I was, figuring out that part of me really felt like going, oh, okay, so I'm not actually broken. There's nothing actually wrong with me. Figuring out who I was actually added to helping me heal as a general, like generally, and it just accelerated the process. And I realized, yeah, I just... Yeah, I think that just that self-confidence within myself um, started to come back. It's not perfect. It's absolutely not perfect. Um, But I definitely can say 
now and I've never been able to say it before, but I'm bloody proud of myself. I put a roof over over our heads. Um, I pay my own bills. Like I put food in our bellies and I'm going to my, you know, put my child through school and extra, extra, extracurricular activities. And, you know, that kid goes without nothing. I'm proud that I have done that. And I'm proud of living by myself and I'm really actually enjoying it and I don't need another person and I kind of realized that I'm actually quite a strong person even if I don't even if I'm not like an angry confrontational assertive on you know person yeah I think learning that kind of stuff has yeah it's given you a new sense of independence and what a what a full circle moment to come back. Like when you said that you'd gone through such a hard time and you were kind of seeking this fresh start, you know, I feel like now you're at a place and it's actually really sweet. The The sunlight just came through my window, like really bright. Like it's really cute as I say this um, to kind of have the feeling where you're leaning into asexuality and becoming comfortable with who you are in, as a sexual person, um, as a woman, as a mother and being able to then also live on your own for the first time and seek all of these different things and have your own independence and be studying and and have the pride in yourself for the first time, you know, during this story that you've spoken like this. And I think that that's, you know, quite a poetic place to be in right now, considering where you were going into that house at that time. This is the fresh start. That is an incredible mother that doesn't feel guilty and shame around sex, that understands themselves more and that, is a fucking badass. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, like, yeah. I'm. I mean, yeah. I'm. Like I said, like, I'm still working on it. <laughs> it's still, it's still tricky to like. I think it's like accept other people say it. I feel like, like, but yeah. I, I feel like I'm definitely on the way, and I, I, I do still like. By no means is it you know perfect. I still bear a lot. Like, I do still have certain I I know the circumstances in which um like flashback will occur and things like that but um and there are like certain things that I have to be careful about doing otherwise they'll you know things will come flooding back so there is like a little bit of damage that may you know either be around for a while or take a little bit longer to unpick I feel like yeah it despite everything I mean I, I just I chose to put all that negative energy because I felt like a, at one point I needed like closure. I needed him to take accountability and to admit everything he did wrong and I needed that closure to be closed and I was feeling really stuck. So I decided to change that energy into doing advocacy and I was like, I'm going to start talking about this. So absolutely, this is, this is my closure. absolutely and there's the other thing as well that is like you know you don't just forget these things triggers will exist Mm -hmm. trauma comes up and you know will chirp up at different times there are things that mean that you're not gonna you know you don't reach this epitome at the top of a hill and then you turn around and go hallelujah like I'm done I'm gonna dis like you know I've not scaled this mountain and then it's just descent from here and you've got other shit in life that will be thrown up you know you've got other things other issues you know I don't know, the house could flood. You've got things that that will be pains in the ass and life will never stop throwing shit at you. But 
I think the way that you've been able to come through that to a point is really, really inspirational, but also to shed light on the danger that you really were in and that your child was in at that time. Um, I think it's a really important thing to talk about coercive control in a very openly dialogue way. I think it's important to show people as well that, you know, it's like the the frog in the pot. You don't jump into a boiling pot initially. You know, it's the, the temperature being turned up gradually um, until you realize that you're in danger. And I think, you know, talking about things like that will resonate with a lot of people listening. Things like the isolation, the control, um, the physical Im- intimidation, the sexual coercion. These are things that just don't happen overnight. They're not a flick of a switch. These are things that are gradually done and can be dressed up as caring, pseudo caring behaviors and can be dressed up as chivalry. And I think if you're doing a wonderful thing by shedding light to this and for being able to leave and openly talk about that as well is, is just a wonderful thing. And for all of the people that couldn't leave and aren't here with us and all of the people that are thinking about leaving as well, we dedicate, I think, a lot of our thoughts to you now. If you are listening to this and you do need help, just contact your local crisis service. There's links in the show notes of this episode. You can go to, I will always refer anybody who wants to learn more about coercive control, go to laurarichards.co.uk. She has a lot of information in there as an expert on coercive control that goes through really specific questions about things like what to do if somebody I know is being controlled, what to do, what is coercive control, what might it look like. Um, but there are also other services like 1-800-RESPECT and Lifeline uh, that will be able to assist you if you have questions and if you feel you are in danger. But again, if you are in a situation and you want to leave, please plan that out. Please tell somebody, call somebody for help um, and plan that move first because it can be the most dangerous, it is, sorry, the most dangerous time for anybody who wants to leave, especially with a child. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye.